Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Olark in San Francisco is looking for a senior UX designer. Society of Grown-Ups is looking for an interaction designer in Boston. And Buffer has a number of positions they're looking to fill, and you can work from anywhere in the world. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, of course, I want to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code GIVETHANKS and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more starting at only $2 per item. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday, and they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. Not much of an update from Monday. Still holding strong at 26 patrons for a combined total of $189 per month. Again, a big thanks to everyone who has already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. It really, really means a lot. And if you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They just start at $1 per month. Now let's get on to today's interview. I talked with Sheila Owens. Uh, Sheila is a software developer here in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Sheila Owens, and I'm a software developer specializing in custom coding for different companies like telecommunications, contractors, or banks. And I've been programming now for over 30 years. Wow. Over 30 years. Yeah. How did you get started? It's kind of like a fluke. When I was in high school, my guidance counselor was, you know, just looking at my curriculum and what I was doing in school. And I was really good at math. So he suggested to me, why don't you look at something that would really focus on your math skills? And then my parents are educators. And I was like, well, I don't want to teach. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that I wanted to go down that same trail. So we started looking at schools and I was going to go to school in Virginia. That's where I'm from. And one of the schools that really specialized in math was Oldman University, and it was in the computer science department. So I looked at it and didn't know anything about programming, hadn't really worked on a computer, you know, basically worked on typewriters. And I looked at the curriculum. It had a lot of math. I would get a minor in uh, mathematics. So I just went for it. 
So how was your time there at Old Dominion? I'm trying to think. 30 years ago, I can't imagine yes. like what the curriculum and the labs and everything were like. It was definitely different than it is now. It was probably 7% minority <laughs> and definitely wasn't many women in computer science. What else can I tell you about it? It was, you know, it was different, you know, but it was in Virginia. I wasn't far from home and there were sororities and fraternities, which I was interested in. My father was in a fraternity. My mom was in a sorority. So kind of found a little niche there, you know, where I joined a sorority and everything. And as far as, though, you know, the computer science aspect of it, there were no laptops then. You know, you only had the desktops and you would go to the computer lab, which is where I spent the majority of my time. So if somebody was looking for me, that's where they could find me. So you wouldn't be in your room studying or being on your computer. I would say 7% is actually pretty good compared to maybe what it is right now. Yeah. What kind of languages and things were you learning back then? We were learning a language called Fortran. That was our first programming language that I learned. Then I learned one called Pascal. We did Visual Basic as well, but that was more on the business information side and we did SQL. We did a lot of SQL programming. That was really when I was introduced to Oracle and started doing database programming. And we also did a little bit of C++. Didn't do any Java at that time. So do you feel like your time there at Old Dominion learning that stuff, do, do you feel like that really prepared you once you got out there in the working world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the classes that we took, you know, most of the time people were taking classes and studying for exams and studying for tests. And our tests were programming. So we would probably have an exam, but even on the exam, it would be little snippets of code. So when most people were had, carrying their books around for studying for their exams, I was in the lab trying to do a program. So just learning to make sure that you knew how to recite this and put it on paper and be prepared for the test. And you take so many programming classes that that's what you do. So that became your language and how you spoke almost. So when you graduated from Old Dominion, what was kind of the first job that you had coming out of college? Well, actually, I was fortunate enough to graduate early. So I finished school in like three and a half years. And I nice. had a job before I graduated. Nice. I, yeah, I went to work in Virginia Beach for a government contractor and. That job, you know, I was really wanted to get that job. It was great. A lot of people were going at that time to Texas Instruments, and I wasn't ready to go to Texas. So the job was great for me. It was close to my school and everything, close to where my parents were. And I started it out and stayed there for, you know, a couple of years. And was it a pretty good experience? It was. It was definitely different. It was you know, definitely this is a, well, it, it was at that time, I guess it still is, male-dominant environment. So there weren't many females that were coding. And being that I was working for a government contractor, it was mostly military. So it was different. I had to get used to the 8 to 5 versus, you know, when you're in school, you, know, you go to the class for like half a day and you're done. So mm -hmm. being around pretty much a male-dominant environment. It was good in a sense. And then, and actually some of the men were, I guess, much older because they were like ex-military. And so they would sort of take me under their wing as well. So that it was good. It was a good experience. 
Now, after that, is that when you kind of started working for the private sector? I know earlier you mentioned that some of your software development work has been for banks. Yes. I worked in government contracting for a long time, years. It was definitely pretty easy if you wanted to change jobs and stay with the government contractors. Because, you know, in Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, it's a military town. So Mm -hmm. there are many government contractors What I wanted to do, though, was kind of move away from the government contractors, more so because what I was coding in was not really familiar to me. So it wasn't as fun, I should say, for like, you know, we were doing simulation for ships and definitely on the more the defense. I wanted to do something where I knew that this is how it, it works. Like if I went to work for a bank and you were doing deposits or you were doing withdrawals or you were doing that, I knew what that was. It being in the military, well, you had to learn their lingo as well. So I kind of gravitated out of that. But I was probably in that for 10 years in the government contracting. And then you just sort of wanted to do something that was more, I guess, public facing. I guess that's a good yeah, way to put it. And, and something that I understand more. So I was fortunate enough. I went to work for this one company and this was a good while ago. They made floppy disks. <laughs> Oh, wow. Like the five and a quarter. Yes, like the five and a quarter. So it was a clean environment where you get all in the white suits and you go through the air chambers and everything. And so that was using Oracle. So they had a database that was running to do their inventory and everything. And then I was also programming. So, yeah, I was starting to move more to the private sector. And then from there, that was when I went to left there and went to the bank. I was more on the database side, definitely doing more Oracle. Well, it sounds like you've moved from like a series of very stable work environments. Like I know my mom always used to talk about thing about getting a good, stable government job. And so it looks like you went from government to private sector. And these are in fields that are are institutions. They're not sort of fly by night operations or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. And I think, like I said, my father was um, he was educated by mom, too. And so they wanted stability. So. They taught for over 30, my dad was a principal, so, and he worked for over 30 some years. My mom did the same thing, and so they wanted stable, they pushed stable environments, and also education. So I wanted something that I would think was stable, because, you know, when I, when I, after I left the bank, I went to Verizon, working for the phone company. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was able to, I was very fortunate to get really good jobs. So I guess with everything that you've done kind of up to this point, what's kind of been, I guess, your career highlight? Like, what's the thing that you feel like you're known the best for? My database development, working with databases. That was like, I think when I got into that sort of niche, that was something that I was very comfortable with. And when I was working at um, Bank of America, I worked with a great team of, it was was four of us, four African-Americans. And each one of us had a different part that we did. We worked very well together. And I was a database person, and they were the front end person, people. And then we did, he had a liaison. And it was great. And I had my job, they had theirs, but we all worked together. So I would say I became known more for the database developer. Nice, nice. Now, you said that both of your parents were educators, but then you also eventually at some point also taught. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny because I think you always say, oh, I'm not going to do it with my parents and I want to do something different. 
And then so I did. I got into computer science. Nobody knew about that. That was brand new to everyone. But And there was a young lady who also went to graduate school. So I went back to Old Dominion to go to grad school. And we were in grad school together. And we would work you know, at different jobs together. And different things happened. You know, I got married, had children, be out for a little while. And she would always call me up and say, hey, they got a job over here. You want to come do it? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so this same young lady, one time she was telling me, she said, hey, they have some classes that they want you, that we need teachers for. And I said, are you doing it? She goes, yeah. And then I, she said, come on, let's do it. And then it was first, it started out as being course development for online courses. So it was, you know, region or online course development. And I said, this is cool. And then you take that same, same course development and you basically teach the class online. So I started doing yeah. that and actually I liked it. I mean, it's pretty intense because it's an eight week online class, which is really compared to a 16 week in the classroom class. So it's a lot of work as far as, especially for the students, but also for the professors too, because, you know, you're constantly grading papers every week and they have discussion boards and everything. And so I started liking that. I remember telling my mom about it and she was like, I thought you didn't want to teach. Well, yeah, I did say that, but it was exactly, you know, I liked it. The students will call and or write or whatever they need to have to want to communicate with you, you know, ask you questions about it. And it was things you knew and you would take the time and it was enjoyable to be able to answer their questions and help them to understand. And even in some of the online classes, it was a couple of times where I had like um, special needs people, I guess. Mm -hmm. And to work with them where they were trying so hard to get this. And just to take the time to work with them and try to make them understand. And then when they did understand, you were like just overjoyed that, hey, I got it through to them. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's rewarding. So that's how I got into that. And I still do that. And plus, it was something that I could do from anywhere. I, can, you know, I could do it from home or I didn't need to go there. I never taught on campus, but it was nice to be able to do it from home. Well, they say that the best way to really learn something is to teach it and i know with online courses because you say you were putting the curriculum together yourself yes. right mm -hmm. like i've taught online courses as well and it's been that same thing of you know the material like you personally know the material but then how do you take it and distill it into lessons whether yeah. it's six lessons eight lessons etc how do you distill that down so people can understand it and then you're also kind of making sure that they follow up and that they're keeping on track because for students i know that online learning i mean it sounds great it's a great yeah. convenience but like mm -hmm. it takes a lot of self-discipline to be a good online student and that's something i think that's something i discovered probably the first year that i did it because mm -hmm. i put the curriculum together i taught at a at devry university for a while okay. and i did courses on it was a, a principles of web development course and so like i broke it down into eight weeks and the, the different lessons and things like that it takes a lot of self-discipline because sometimes the students will just expect you to hold their hand the entire way. And then other times, you know, other students are like, yeah, well, you know, I'll get to it. You know, it's you get a bunch of different types. And I found that out very quickly that not everyone that is going to be in the course is really going to put forth the discipline to try to see it through to the end. Yeah, and some students do really, really well. Like I took an online class actually when I was at Old Dominion. I was on campus and took an online class 
because they, you know, mm-hmm. offered it. And it was hard. I mean, yeah. when, when people say, oh, I'm going to take it online, I think that you have to rethink what you're signing up for because I think to actually go to the class, you can get definitely more out of it. And it's definitely tougher if you're not going to stay on it when it's an online class because it's a lot of work and a lot of reading. Oh, yeah. and, you gotta, and if you get behind, you're behind. Mm-hmm. I teach an online course now actually on podcasting. Oh, and okay. it was the first time that I taught the course. It was it just wrapped a few weeks ago. And mm-hmm. it was so interesting. I had like 10 students. I'd say out of the 10 students, maybe two of them were really present. Uh, okay. <laughs> and only one of them would really kind of, I think, saw it all the way through to the end. It was just so interesting because they get into the course. And I'm not downing students. I hope that students aren't listening and think that. But <laughs> it takes a lot of self-discipline to get into these courses and really kind of see it through. But I think that same kind of self-discipline also relates well to learning programming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For you, because you kind of came up and you learned this in a formal education setting and things like that, did you have any mentors that really kind of helped you out along the way throughout your career? I wish I could say that I did have mentors in computer science. Now, I, of course, I had family and friends that pushed me to stick with it because this. It was very difficult. And I think being a female, African-American female in a predominantly white school, it was hard. It, it was hard because, you know, you weren't invited to the study groups. You weren't part of the study group. So mentors as far as in the actual field, no. Family, friends, absolutely. But no one, I would say, was a mentor. There was a time, I would say, when I was in graduate school where I was um, taking a couple of classes, and this was just working on getting my master's. And one of my professors said, why don't you go for your PhD? And I hadn't thought about doing that. So he sponsored me, and he actually took me under his wing. So that was nice. I I didn't keep going with the PhD. I did go back. You know, at that time, I was working part-time. I did go back to work full-time, so I didn't pursue the PhD, but... He actually did, and he was actually put, he saw some, I like doing research, and I took mm-hmm. a couple of his classes. I did the telecommunications classes and, and doing the whole thing about the mobile development for the phones and how you know, the cell phones work and everything, and I enjoyed that. And he taught that class, and he saw that that was something that I was passionate about. So he pushed me towards that, you know, dealing with sensors. Like, I grew up basically in the country, and I think I had started to see about sensors that you could put out in fields for, like, turning on irrigation systems when you needed water or to watch animals or all kinds of things. And so he introduced me to that. So he would probably be my mentor that I would say that was actually in the field. So that would be my mentor for that. So I'm really curious to get your perspective on this because, like you said, you've been a software developer for over 30 years. And as you just sort of described, there weren't a lot of role models or mentors or people that really looked like you that were in the field now. Now we've got organizations like Black Girls Code and and things like that that really sort of have a lot of, I guess, I don't want to say influence, but they certainly are starting – the pipeline early with sort of getting young black girls interested in technology and things like that. What do you think of like the current landscape as it relates to, I guess, diversity and technology? Because that's always a, a really hot topic, I think, right now for women and particularly for women that are 
not white, essentially. Right. Being here in like Atlanta, I've been here a couple of years, there are definitely more opportunities for people of color. And I think the thing of it is, and maybe it's like that everywhere, you do have to make some steps in that direction. Like when I came here, I was like, well, how do I even meet people that code? Because I was, mm-hmm. when I first came here, I didn't want to, I, I went back into government contracting for a while, but I didn't want to do that when I came here. And I don't even think the opportunities are really here in Atlanta for that. So I wanted to do Android development, which, you know, I can tell you how I kind of got into that too. But so one of the things that I got into are the meetups. And for me, the meetups helped a lot, like the technologies of color, the women who code. And they introduced me to people who look like us that were doing the same thing, which I think helps a lot. And those same organizations go into the school system and try to work with the kids. I think there are more opportunities now for people of color if they jump on it. But I don't know how you get people interested in it that don't necessarily want to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I think well, they I don't think- know. They don't understand it. So why do it? Right. But like with those organizations with Black Girls Code and things like that, uh-huh. they're just starting out early. Like they're trying to get them early, which I, I understand that. And right. I think a lot of the efforts that are done with diversity in tech do tend to be from the younger slash kind of educational perspective. But then if you're an adult that sort of wants to get into it, there's not it doesn't feel like there are those same types of opportunities or organizations or things like that. So you have to go out and find them. I think you do have to go out and find them, but I think Women Who Code is a good one for that. Because, I mean, I've met a couple of young ladies since I've been here that want to get into it. And the first thing I can say, well, yeah, join one of these meetups. And I've seen where the women actually do go to join the meetups and they start to code. Now, I I haven't followed them to see how successful they have been with finding work, but at least they can get exposure. But you do have to make some steps. It's not going to fall in your lap. I'm really glad you said that, that you you have to sort of be present for yes. the opportunities when they arrive. You can't just sort of sit back and wait for the opportunity to kind of come to you. That's something that I'm finding, I think, a lot now, when, you know, especially when it comes to this podcast. When it comes mm-hmm. to talking to a bunch of people and finding new people to talk to and things like that, it's always easier if they're at least out there or present in some kind of way so you can see the work that they're doing as opposed to not really doing anything, maybe just working in the shadows. And then someone just sort of discovers them like, Eureka, like I struck gold or something like that. (laughs) And that's just not going to happen. I mean, mean, there is a possibility, but I don't think, I think you have to work at it. I mean, like I say, even being in the field now, I mean, I'm not just going to be just walking around out here. Somebody can say, hey, you want to do some coding? I mean, you still have to work at it. You still have to seek it out. And you might find people who would love to hire you, but you might not want to do that job. Mm -hmm. So you have to take a look at what you want to do, too. And like I say, nothing's just going to fall in your lap. And even if it does, you're still going to have to work at it. It's not going to last forever if you don't. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone that wants to start out in programming now? I think there are... So many tutorials online that first I did talk to a young lady who said that she wanted to get into it. And then I said, oh, well, let me send you a link to a tutorial. And I think the tutorials are very easy to follow. 
It's like, say, I was a database programmer, and I wanted to build an app. I had a musician come to me and said that he had a iOS app, and he needed an Android app. I said, well, I don't really know anybody. And he said, well, why don't you do it? I said, I've never done an Android app, so I mean, I don't know anything about it either. He goes, I got time. Just do an Android <laughs> app. And so I said, okay, let me look up a tutorial. <laughs> and so I just followed the tutorial and create the app. So I think for somebody starting out, do a tutorial, see what you can get out of that, possibly join some groups that probably could be people of like minds that could work together that could help you with that. And if you have time, take an online class or go into the classroom if you don't. But most people probably don't because they're working. So then I would do an online class. I'm doing an online class right now where you just want to do the Android Wear apps for the watches and everything. So I want to do that. And so, you know, I think there's everything's on the Internet. So if you really want to do it, I think you can put your mind to it, pick a tutorial and go for it. So speaking of Android development, how did you first get involved with that? Like I say, I talked to a musician. He needed an Android app. And I've been doing coding. So I was thinking, well, how hard can it really be? He had time. So I developed the app for basically what I did. I had the iOS, you know, the Apple app. I looked at how it functioned. And I had an Android phone. So I know how Android phone should function. And I got a book. I mean, I didn't even do the online. I actually got a book that took me through Android programming, started from the very basics, and I incorporated that and designed the Android app to look just like the iOS app. And actually, that kind of worked for me because I put that up on LinkedIn a couple years ago now, and I got a call from Google. And then they were just asking me, it's like, well, how did you do that app? Did you use a tool to do the app? And I said, no. I said, I just mimicked what I saw on iOS. And as a result of that, I got to go to some of the Google, um, you know, the Google Sandbox or some of their events. They invited me to some of their events. And they asked me, and I want to interview for one of their jobs. I was like, send me over your interview process. (laughs) And when I looked at that, I was like, I'm going to have to wait on that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was good that, I mean, I was kind of surprised that they reached out to me based on that. And like I say, I just picked up a book. Okay. So to you, what would you say is kind of the best thing about programming? Like, what is it about programming that you really love? I think you can get so absorbed in it that time flies. You start out with just a few lines of code or no code. And at the end of the day, you can actually see things working. So it's gratifying. And like I said, time can go, you can work on a program on an app or any code for, for hours and time just flies and it's, it's intriguing. So that's what it is for me. What would you say is, I guess, like the best advice that you've gotten relating to your work? That your work represents you. So do your best to make sure that that is your best. And even if you find out that it's not, do better. So just keep perfecting yourself in your craft and you'll get there. And I guess, and don't let what anyone says or what anyone does get in the way of what you're trying to do. If at first, you know, you're working on something and you're like, I I just can't get it done. First of all, keep working at it. You will get it done. And then 
you just get better at it. I guess don't let anyone steal your joy. If this is what you want to do, just keep driving at it and you'll get there. So what keeps you motivated and inspired to keep doing that? I think because there's so much out there. Like, you know, I was doing database work and, you know, you could see doing reports and doing web things and doing things. It's always different. It's always changing. Then I started doing Android apps. And then you have your iOS apps. Now, I guess, Apple has Swift. So it's always things to keep, keep you going. It doesn't stay the same, which also means you have to continue to study, 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 too. You can't just sit and be like, if I didn't study at all, I would still be doing Fortran and that would not, you know, <laughs> life wouldn't be good. <laughs> so you have to keep working at it. Like now I want to do Android wear because that's something that's new too. So I think it's always new things. It's exciting and it's challenging and you can see your work. You can do work for yourself. Like I have a, a Google watch and I want to do some things to it for my, for, you know, personally. And I can do that. So it's fun. I guess we're going to kind of switch gears here a little bit and, and talk more okay. about you okay. personally. But what is a typical day like for you? Well, when I'm working, it's one thing. When I'm not like right now, I'm not working. So the typical day for me would basically be, you know, I would get up, exercise, and then I would probably be on the computer for six or seven hours. And that can mm-hmm. consist of like right now I'm studying for Android Wear. So I'm going through tutorials and one of the series I'm in now, it's like 75 tutorials that I need to go through. So I spend my day going through those tutorials where I'm actually writing code and reading and doing research on it. And so that's a regular day when I'm studying to do something else. If working, that would be just, you know, getting up, going to work, come home, and then you would get back on something that you had some trouble with at work. You would work on it again when you got home, usually later at night because it's quiet. Mm -hmm. So I do think that by working on the computer, you're like always working. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know that life all too well. All too well. (laughs) If you weren't doing this, what do you think you would be doing if you weren't a programmer? Would I be independently wealthy? I mean, you know. (laughs) 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 I mean... I would be traveling, exercising, but I would still be, if possible, I would still be doing something with programming because it is a hobby as well. So I would still be doing that. And I'm, you know, reading. So reading, traveling, exercising, and programming. And so I know you mentioned Java. So I guess a lot of the programming that you're doing is mostly database or mobile or things like that. You're not really doing any front end type development, are you? Not now, but I have. When I was working at the bank, I was doing front-end as well then. But that was more of your client-server environment where we were actually creating forms and everything. The apps that I usually work on, like at Verizon and at the bank, were the customer service apps, which are the apps that the people on the floor would use when they're answering the phone. So then I was doing Mm front-end. And I was also doing front-end for defense contractors. We were doing web apps that were doing logistics for warehouses, keeping track of their information and so that all of the different bases or whatever could use that information, it was all on the web too. Definitely there's more security involved for the banks and um, of course the military. But yes, I do front end too. I have not done stuff, done quite a, a large share of it. I guess I guess 50% of the time I have done front end as well. And of course with the that, Android you're doing, that's everything. Yeah. 
And you say you're kind of looking at Android Wear right now. What do you think about the, the current crop of wearables out there? I would say that before I was contacted with for, from Google, I wasn't really looking at the Apple Watch or, or any of it. But then I went to this Google Sandbox, which was uh, maybe a few months back. And basically, they were introducing us to Android Wear. And one of the things that they did was they gave us the watches. Oh. And I was like, great. And then they said, <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you bring them back tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's a catch here. And so what it was is that when we brought them back the next day, we started programming on the watches. Basically, that was getting us involved in that. So that's kind of how now I want to do the, the Android Wear. I was just doing the apps for the Android phone, but now I'd rather do the Android Wear. Yeah. Now, you moved to Atlanta a few years ago. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to move here from Virginia down here to Atlanta? A husband. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so now I was born and raised in Virginia, you know, had been there all my life. And I met someone from here and moved here. Now, you mentioned going to some meetups and things like that. How uh-huh. has the, the local tech scene been like for you? Have you gotten a lot out of it? Yes, actually. Just basically to be able to interact with people who are doing the same thing. And a way to meet people. Even though, you know, I think there are many places you can go in all of these cities, I think it's really hard to meet people. Most times people meet people on their jobs. And, oh, yeah. you know, and so it's their, their coworkers. So for me, it was a way to meet people and to talk to people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing. So the meetups have been good for me. It's just um, to find people, especially people of color, that are doing the same thing and also I found out about different conferences here in the area like DevNexus, and I think there was an open source one and the Google one. I found out all of those through the meetups. So for me, it's been great. That's good. Yeah. So what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I know you have you have four children, right? Uh-huh. And, and a, a grandchild. grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't what kind of legacy... Baby. Can't forget the grandbaby. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind for them? Like, how do you want them to remember you in terms of the work that you've done? I definitely want them to, all of them are either in, have finished college or still have one in college, that education is key. And it's it's very important, and especially being African-American, that I believe that you, you need to have that education. And I think that once you have it, you need to do the best that you can do at your job or or in your career. You know, it doesn't have to be a job going to work. Someone could be, you know, in your own thing. But do the best that you can do and be satisfied with yourself and be happy with yourself and know that hard work does pay off. So that's why oh. I want to know that hard work pays off and education is key. Are any of your children into programming? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, two of them tried a programming class, and I think that was just to pacify us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe there's hope for the grandbaby. <laughs> uh, yeah, you still got time. Yeah, I still got time. But, you know, like I said, I, um, 
my parents were in teaching and I didn't want to go into teaching, but it came back and, you know, now I do teaching. So you never know. True. Where do you see yourself now in the next five years? I actually, like I say, my hobby still is programming. So I would like to have some products out there that I can I can be retired and then I can have money coming in from these products that I have produced and still be able to tinker with programming. So in the next five years, I mean, I'm still going to have to work pretty hard and strong to get some products out there that can make retirement happier. <laughs> All right. Well, Sheila, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and your work online? I'm on LinkedIn, Sheila Owens. And then I also have a Twitter account, SSOwens711. So they can look for me there. All right. Sounds good. Sheila Owens, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for speaking with me about not just the work that you're doing now, but I think, you know, like you said, you've been a software developer for 30 years. So you bring such a rich perspective on what the industry was like then as it is now, as it relates to not just the technologies that were being used, but also the diversity that's there. So you're a testament to the people that are out there that are really working hard and showing that Black women are out here, they're coding, they're making a living for themselves, they're doing well. To me, that's just awesome. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for the opportunity. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sheila Owens and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sheila and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes out to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contract and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover, and you can save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code GIVETHANKS at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head on over to creativemarket.com, and if you see something that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. Five stars would be great. It really helps us get new listeners. I'll read your review right here on the show as well. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Push that.